Hello, this is Carrie Maweeny. I'm currently unavailable, so please leave a short message after the beep. and 
Kenny Rogers. So this yeah, is this what is your like, dad was listening to. So he kind yeah, of introduced mom and, you. Oh, yeah, my mom and dad, they listen to everything, you know. So uh, I kind of immediately got hooked on that. Started going to concerts when I was really young, like real young. And uh, it became such a thing that by the time I was 11 or 12, uh, we went, me and my friends went to every concert that came through town. It didn't matter if it was Dan Fogelberg. And, you know, we couldn't, we didn't know any songs, couldn't stand him. We still went because it was, you know, <laughs> it was the cool, it was this cool thing to do. And, uh, you know, that went on probably up until I started playing. Uh, then the ticket prices started going up so much that, I mean, I think the first time I ever paid $20 to see a concert, it was uh, King Diamond and Flotsam and Jetsam. <laughs> And I was like, I'm never, I'm never paying again, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, I wish I'd stuck with that, but I kind of did a little bit. <laughs> and so then, but, did you take lessons, or were you like kind of self-taught? Uh, well, uh, everybody in my dad's family all played guitar, you know, to you know, to a point enough to you know play, and uh, they all sang, and so I kind of grew up with them trying to teach me guitar, and you know, I would. I would learn some chords, strum it for a minute, and I'd be completely bored and, hmm. you know, wouldn't do it again. And, uh, but, you know, I wrestled and played baseball and martial arts and all this stuff when I was a kid. So I had these other uh, interests, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, whenever I did start playing, the look, what I was lucky about was uh, that I already knew, you know, I already knew some chords, you know, I already had a little knowledge, you know, of what the guitar was, you know. Uh, so when I did decide to start playing, I had that advantage, and then I had this, the real advantage of being a good athlete. So I learned how to learn, you know. I knew right. that, I knew what I I knew what I had to do. So you know, I used to I used to practice on my arm, and you know, in school, sitting running, <laughs> you know, running scales on my arm. I said, you know, right write everything out on, you know, so I, uh, I did all this practice and when I didn't have the bass, you know, cause that's mm-hmm. all I wanted to do. And I told my dad probably about six, seven months after I started, I said, this is what I'm going to do. And he said, well, look, look forward to a life of poverty. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> but which I'm glad he said that because, uh, that's what I expected. You know, I was like, all right, well, okay. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to live on the street, I guess, whatever. Uh, you know, and then it, it, it just kind of made me not, you know, it, people think they can be a rock star or whatever, you know, they get that in their head. Well, hell, if they don't never do anything, then they're so depressed all the time. So disappointed, right. you know, uh, it's like telling your kids they can be the president, you know, <laughs> it's better. You're better off telling them that they're going to work at Taco Bell because then if they do something good, you know, then it's a plus, you know, wow, I didn't have to work at Taco Bell, you know. But if you tell them right. they're going to be president and they end up being governor, then they're going to be mad, you know, because they, they let you down. Yeah. So, it's you know, so I'm glad that he told me that, you know, he said it for a reason, you know, he just didn't want me to get my hopes up that I was going to, you know, write a song and, you know, be driving a sports car, you know, all that <laughs> stupid. All that or be called legendary, right? Yeah. Well, that's better than, you know that's better than the other, you know, it's like, I, I have so many friends that actually were in that, that category, you know, uh, that, that sold all these records that, you know, were rock stars for a minute, you know, and had money and every one of them said the same thing. They all said, you never thought it would stop. <laughs> you know, they knew it wasn't going to last forever, but you didn't think it was going to stop that quick. Right. And all of a sudden you, all of a sudden you're, they're taking your car and your house. And your super good-looking supermodel wives taking everything else, uh, and you're like, oh god! And then you got to go on tour and and play all these songs, and it's like, and that's it's it's funny people bitch about it, but it would still be a pretty cool life, though, you know? Yeah. It's like these, it's like these people, you know, like back in, when TLC and all the bands were griping because they signed bad contracts. You know, and they didn't make no money. But had they not signed a bad contract, they wouldn't have sold millions of records and they would have never probably left the city they lived in, you know. Right. And got the experience of play, you know. It's 
it's all in, you know, it's all in how you, how you look at everything, you know, I mean, everybody gets screwed somehow. So as long as you don't let it affect you, you know, and you just have, you know, have fun with it, you know, enjoy what you're doing. Cause if you don't enjoy what you're doing, then you know, it, the life's going to suck. Yeah. Right. So what was so, the I mean, first, been, what was your first, like how old were you when you were first, in a band that wasn't, you know, playing high school. Uh, uh, well, um, I guess my second band that I was in, uh, it was like a real bad forte. Uh, we, we, we were, I was the first band I got signed with, you know, we, we were out on the road, you know, playing it three, four nights a week, you know, playing covers and originals. And it was a speed metal band, you know, we went everywhere all the way up into, you know, from Oklahoma up into Ohio and Pennsylvania over to Hammerjacks, you know, and, and how all, all of the East three? Coast. So, uh, like, between 18 and 25. Okay. All those years. So, I mean, we just had a couple of bands, and then we had an RV, and, you know, we would go we'd go play these clubs and make enough money to, you know, get to the next one. We'd do shows with, you know – bands on that on the east coast we'd go out there and open for them for a week and then bring them back here and do shows you know and uh it was then we you know we actually had a demo that we put out ourselves we sold like five six thousand copies like immediately so you know we we got snagged up by massacre records in germany and you know they'd never we're the first band they signed so they brought us over there for a month to record because they didn't trust sending us money you know uh-huh. And the album did, you know, the album did real good and we did another one, did real good and then uh so then this, I left and this was and, back in the ages when you when we sold records in stores, right? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. So and how were people so, told, like how did people hear about you? Well, we I mean we were playing we we would do local shows and you know, there'd be eight hundred nine hundred people at some of our shows, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. And you had to you had to rent the buildings, and so every national that come through, the, all the promoters would put us on the show, you know. And so we built this huge following because we all, you know, they'd always come see us, and there was, you know, three crazy guys up front just shredding, you know, jumping around, acting crazy, and this fast fast music with you know all of us saying. So it was you know it was something that. uh a lot of bands did that. You know, I grew up with the guys at uh, Pantera and, uh, you know, we used to do shows with them all through Cowboys from Hell and all that. And, you know, that, that's the reason those guys were so, were successful continuously, you know, is that mm-hmm. they, you would, if you seen them, you knew what, you knew what you were going to get the next time you knew, God, they're going to kick my ass, you know? So, it was worth it. You know, some of these other bands, we'd go see that their album sounded great and you'd go see them live and they were just kind of, you know, they were, they didn't really do anything, you know, Uh, it's not, and I'm not going to say where they're from, but certain areas of the United States bands just didn't, uh, didn't do things, you know, like they did, they weren't good, you know, front men, they, you know, nobody Mm -hmm. moved on stage, you know, and uh, it's show business, you know, you got to put on a show. So, I mean, I was from that uh, upbringing, just like everybody else around here. And all the bands back then, that you know, even the bad bands around here that, that uh, would play shows, they'd still be good on stage, you know. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, somewhere about the time that Metallica got big, you know, everybody blames it on Nirvana, but I, I blame it when when Metallica became top forty. You know, that did away with you know, having a rock club and a metal club and a top 40, they all went to the same club, you know? Right. And, uh, but about that time is when all these bands come out and they just stood there, like they were just fed up that they had to stand there and play. And, you know, <laughs> and, you know, people, Oh God, I don't want, I don't, I don't want this money. You know, it's, you know, that whole, that whole thing, it just, it just destroyed that part of it. You know, the only people that, succeeded from those times were the people that weren't rock and metal because they were still putting on a show, you know, you had people like Prince, Michael Jackson, you know, Madonna, they were all still doing these shows. You know, if you went and seen them, it was killer. 
just like it still is. If you go see Lady Gaga, it's going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go see, you know, pretty much Justin Timberlake, any of those, you know, you're going to get a killer show. And that's why they're they're still successful. And then you go see some of these rock bands that are just standing there, like, oh. So the crowd, you know, so you got the, all these kids out in the crowd just sitting down, waiting for that one song they know. Right. And they hear it, they'll, they'll run up there, and of course it's going to be last, you know, which that's you know it's always kind of how you can tell how a band's going to be. I remember seeing uh, Stone Temple Pilot whenever Plush was a, was like a hit. It just came out. It was the big hit, and they were on tour with uh, like Butthole Surfers and somebody else, and uh, they came out. They opened with Plush, and then uh, after at the end of the song, he said, "All right, there's our hit. If you came to hear it, you can leave. This is the rest <laughs> of our songs." And you know, everybody was like, "Oh, well, I guess we're staying." <laughs> you know, it was cool, but hell, even Metallica—that's how they always were. You know, uh, 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 on the Black album, "Inner Sandman" was the first song. You know, when you go see them live, that's cool when your hit is first. You know, right? It's a very interesting it, way of looking at it. I mean, I never thought of it um, that way. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's that, it's it's kind of like the the whole thing. You know, like Van Halen. I've seen Van Halen every year they came. And uh-huh. David Lee Ross said, word for word, almost the exact same thing every time I've seen him. But you didn't care, one, because he was the coolest guy that you've ever seen, you know. <laughs> right. Number, number two, you didn't remember that. You didn't, you know, you, there was no video. So you you didn't know what he said last time. And it would, you know, you watch the videos now and you're like, oh, my God, it's so scripted, you know. Right. But it was it was amazing, you know. He would walk out and do that stupid look and look at all the people, you know, and it's like, he, he just, he got you right then, you know, and yeah. it was great. Well, he is an amazing performer. Yeah. Oh yeah. And that, you know, that's how like Pantera, you know, Phil, especially when Phil was younger, he, there was nobody that was better than that, you know, he'd come out yeah. there and if he, if he said something to you, you listened, you know, like if he said, I want to see some movement, you're moving, you know. Right. He told everybody to brush their hair. They'd start brushing their hair. But he had that uh, that aura about him. But he also had that thing that you knew that he would jump off stage and come over and, you know, make you do it. <laughs> you know, and, and okay. it, you know, he, he it wasn't like an act, you know. You didn't look at him, you know, and he, somebody's up there wearing a mask, you know, telling kids, you know, to be themselves, but they got a mask on, you know. Right. Uh, it's not that kind of thing. It's, you know, you know, Phil was exactly the same as off stage, on stage, you know. And, you know, it's kind of like I, I work with George Thorogood, and he's that way, you know. When you see George Thorogood's personality, uh, he's like that 24-7. You know, it's not an act. I, I When I first met him, I thought, oh, this is an act. <laughs> and it's not, you know, and that's – but that's what makes him – believable when he starts putting on that show you know it's you're getting a real show you know right. it's not like uh it's not like you're faking it you know and that's which is kind of how i am with everything too you know it's like i might act crazy and stupid but it's not really planned you know, i don't i don't say okay on this part of the song i'm gonna do this and, you know uh it just kind of spontaneously happens because something inside of me is you know, saying, all right, you got to do this, you got to do that, but I'm not really planning it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, that's why I think, uh, that's why people either uh, love me or hate me. <laughs> yeah. Explain all, all the these years. Part. Well, I mean, all these years that, you know, I, I used to get it bad, especially when I had the, the long dreads on the top of my head, they would be spinning in a circle. And, uh, like Michael Shanker fans, there's a whole bunch of them that just hated that, you know. And uh, they'd always put these little posts up about uh, how it just distracted them the whole time they were trying to watch Michael. And I'm just, okay. I just laugh. About, I would laugh about it, like really, because if I was distracted by something, I don't think I'd look at it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And, but it's weird. It's but it's weird as though that when it once I shaved the dreads off. Uh, all of a sudden I was looked at differently too, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny how people just kind of, uh, 
see somebody, you know, oh, he's got tattoos, he's automatically this, you know, he's got this. I mean, a good example is Uli Roth. Uh, he's he does he's real scared of tattoos, so okay. he was doing these he was doing these dates with us, and uh, they didn't tell me until after that he was. Uh, so he comes Wait, up. Wait, you mean he's bottom. actually scared of people who have tattoos or of getting tattoos? I think it's the yeah the people. It's, I think he's you know automatically thinks they're bad people, you know. Uh, okay. But so I'm, you know I'm out with I'm out playing with Michael Shanker and. Uli's up playing the uh, rock bottom with us, you know, where we got like two sold out nights in Chicago. So I go over and I start like jamming with him. Like I'm leaning up against him and he's like, Oh, rap, please do not touch me when I'm playing. And kind of, (laughs) kind of freaking out a little bit. And, uh, and then afterwards he told me, Oh, I do not like it when people touch me and uh, stand next to me. And I'm like, Oh, cool. Yeah. All you gotta do is tell me. So the next night, of course, all the they let all the photographers in on that song. So I'm right back over there on him, <laughs> you know. And uh, it, it's just funny because by then I knew that he hate, you know, that he was scared of it. And he actually, we were supposed to do a tour where I was going to play with Leslie and Michael and Uli. And Uli didn't want me to play bass because he thought I was terrible. He, that was his words. He told Leslie that I can't even play. And... Uh, you know, Leslie just kind of, uh, like, told him off or whatever. And so then the next tour, I'd shave my dreadlocks off, and me and Leslie are out uh, coming up and jamming with uh, Uli each night for about two weeks. And after we'd get off stage, he would walk up to me and say, you are the best bass player I've ever seen. And I'm just looking, I'm just looking at him like, what in the – I just want to hit him, you know. Right. And I'm thinking, what's different? Oh, because I don't have these dreadlocks on top spinning around. You know, it's, it's right. for some reason people would uh, actually allow that to uh, uh, block, you know, somebody's talent or, you know, right. somebody's a nice right. person or whatever, you know. It's like, yeah, I think I still think it's funny. That's why whenever my friends were there, uh, they didn't know who he was, but I, I lied and said they were big fans. So he would take a picture with them because they were covered like <laughs> head to toe. And I, they had their arms around him. And, you know, he was looking at me like, please hurry. I'm going, hold on. Uh, I'm trying to get, I can't get it to, I can't get the settings right. And they were just I'm sitting there doing it on purpose, you know. <laughs> what a strange phobia for someone in the, in the music industry. Now, I, I know a lot of, well, what's funny is that he, uh, the same thing with Uli, and I didn't know this till later when we were talking about it, but uh, Michelangelo Batio, you know him? Uh, guitar no. player, plays, plays two guitars at once, you know. Uh, he was in okay. the band Nitro and stuff. Anyway, he's, you know, he's like the nicest guy you'll ever meet in your life. Just like total sweetheart, you know, polite. He's like, you know, full sleeve tattoos, but and you never really see him. And Uli was like, you know, they're like really, really good buddies. And Uli didn't realize that Michael had those tattoos until they were really good buddies. <laughs> right. And it's still, they said it would still, he would go, oh, okay, the bad guy is here. Okay, the good guy's back. <laughs> you know, it's like, fucking weirdos. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you don't want your kids to grow up and be guitar players. <laughs> right. So what was, like, what was the breaking point where you suddenly realized that people were, hiring you without even hearing you play with them. They were just hiring you because they knew you. Like they knew of you. Uh, well, uh, uh, I don't even know. You know, it's like, uh, I think the first time I actually uh, kind of happened was probably after I was playing with Michael Jenker. Cause I, okay. I, I actually did kind of audition for him. Uh, sent him a video and a album and he didn't listen to the album just because he didn't want to be influenced mm-hmm. by you know music and end up you know writing something that he just heard you know not knowing kind of thing uh he just so he just watched the video mostly and so that was probably the last time that i actually uh like auditioned after mm-hmm. that it was always it was always oh yeah this guy this guy you know i mean i went and played I did a tour with Fuel in 2004 before the the 
original band broke up. Okay. Uh, the ba- bass player was his wife was having a baby, so they they needed me to fill in somewhere between two and seven weeks, you know. And I was just coming off the road with with Shaker, so I had two full months open, so it just kind of worked out. And uh, I literally learned the songs. I flew to uh, Maine, Portland, Maine, and watched them play. And then I got on the bus, and me and the bass player sat in the back lounge, and we went over the songs as we Mm -hmm. moved to Atlanta. And he flew home, and I started playing. And I was I was in like six and a half, seven weeks, something like that. Wow. And I'd never even, I mean, I was, I'd never really heard the band. I, you know, I knew who they were, but uh, they sent me a, a live recording of them, but I didn't want to try to learn the songs and learn them wrong, you know? Right, um, right. There was also, a, I didn't know how, how they were tuned and I didn't want to learn something and then get there and it'd be, you know, weird. So I just kind of listened to them. So I somewhat get used to how the songs went. And, uh, right. you know, but that just, it, it seems weird to people, but that was just always something that, you know, that me and all the people I kind of grew up playing with, you know, I could learn 50 songs to, right now and go play tomorrow, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's just, I don't know if it's a, how that skill was developed. I used to play country music too. Uh, when I was like 17, 18, 19. Uh, I played five days a week playing country, and uh, we had to you, you had to know like six seven hundred songs, <laughs> and you know that was when it was real country, so uh, all the songs pretty much sounded like one of four different songs. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's only like so you had to figure out which one was which, and then you had to figure out what key it was in, and the only thing that would be different is you know a little turnaround thing in the middle would either go one way or the other and uh that kind of made it harder you know because people they'd come up and request something and we'd start playing it and i'm just looking over going oh man what song is this you know right and but that takes away the i guess that takes away the stress of it uh that uh opens up the world of you know playing like you know just being able to play you know, if if I get up, I get up and play with any band on any bass and, you know, playing any song, whatever, I'm going to have fun doing it. And I'm going to, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to pull it, I'm going to pull it off, you know, because uh, I, I don't care if I don't, you know, I mean, if I get up there and, and you know, you know, make a mistake or whatever, I'm going to laugh it off and do something cool that nobody notices. Right. <laughs> I mean, if you hit, if you play a bad note, hit it loud and look at everybody else like, what are you doing? You know, but that's, so that's about that. That's the time whenever I started getting hired because of a name, you know, instead of, you know, and what's funny is, and this is still to this day, is that uh, there's so many people I know in the music business that I'm, you know, great friends with that I've known forever uh, that I've recently realized just had never really heard me play you know like they'd seen me play you know they knew how I was on stage but they never really I guess paid attention to my actual playing because when I released my solo album uh they started coming out of the woodwork saying oh my god when did you start playing like that (laughs) I don't know when I was 17 you know and uh, it's I mean it's just kind of funny it's like you know, not noticing that, you know, your one of your friends has got a beard and he's had a beard all of his life, you know, mm-hmm. it's, you know, but I, I noticed that. But then when I think about it, I know hundreds and hundreds of drummers and bass players that I really don't know if they're any good. I mean, I know they're good, but I don't really know if they are good, good, you know? Yeah. Because as I, as I think about it, I probably never paid that much attention, you know? So I started thinking about that. Then I realized, well, they're not bad for not paying attention to me, you know. Right. <laughs> and, and it doesn't matter anyway because what the other bands think, it matters what the fans think, you know. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned George Thurgood. And so I yeah. Kind of, so you, 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 were, uh, you were the guitar tech. Yeah, and I, I still am. I'm, 
You only saw it. Okay. So I'm kind of yeah. confused. Like, why did you, like, what made that happen? And did you take a break from bass, from playing the bass? Or well, did you want a different scene? Or? Well, I, I, I mean, I grew up, uh, first off, I grew up uh, working for a lighting company, you know, here in right. Oklahoma. So whenever, if I wasn't out playing, I was doing lights. And uh, and I'd always done lights for Thoroughgood back in the, like, 90s. And, okay. Uh, so, so about two, uh, 2006, uh, they had contacted me about, they wanted to take a light guy on. They wanted it to be me. And I, that I was, I just came off of, uh, I just left Michael Shaker's group. We had a big falling out. And so I was like, yeah, I'll do it. You know, so I jump, I go out and I do it for a couple of months. And uh, so I continued for the next, oh, I guess three years. I was playing bass for Mountain and I was playing bass for Stillheart and I was doing lights for, George Thorogood. And by pure luck, everything kept falling perfectly in sync. So, you know, Thorogood would be out for a month and then I'd get off and, oh, there's a still hard tour. All right. You know, and Uh I stayed out for like three years. This happened. And then if they finally started, you know, crossing. So I had to, you know, I had to pick one to quiz. I I picked, you know, because I, you know, I, I mean, I still enjoy that too, but, so, but I would stay, you know, I stayed close with all those guys. And uh, two years ago, uh, their guitar tech, George's guitar tech, had quit. And they, it was about a week before they were going out. So they didn't really have time to get somebody and work him in. And uh, they, but they, because they wanted somebody that was, George would be comfortable with somebody he knew, you know, so it's not like a, a brand new guy walking out going, here you go, buddy, <laughs> you know, handing me guitars. So they called me to see if I'd be interested in just filling in for, you know, a month. So they got mm-hmm. somebody. And uh, so I was like, yeah, cool. So I went out and did it. And I mean, it was, I, I love doing it. You know, it's, I mean, I don't mind work. I work, I love working on guitars anyway, you know, cause I do, I set up all my own stuff. So that was cool about it. I like all the guys in the band. I was already the backup bass player if Bill Blau got sick. Mm-hmm. That that started from years ago, so uh, so there was a little thing, you know, with with it anyway. Uh, so I was out doing that, and the money was so good, and the only thing I had going on was Steelheart and uh, playing with Leslie West. And since Leslie lost his leg, we don't do that many shows, you know. Mm-hmm. Just a, a few here and there, and still are. You know, they were all fly dates, and they were you know kind of sporadic. So, uh, you know, I was like, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this until you know something takes off. And then, so after about a year of doing it, I kind of got to that point where I had I had to have somebody filling in, playing with Steelheart for me, because. I couldn't lose that much money to go play one show, you know? Right. And, right. Cause I got a little, I got a little two and a half year old and, you know, so I can't make him starve. <laughs> so I can go play one show when I could, you know, tune guitars and hand somebody a guitar, make, you know, five times the money. Right. And, and still have a good time, you know, and, and enjoy it. So, so that's when I quit still art. And, uh, you know, so, that's whenever I decided I'm going to put the solo album out and, you know, see what happens. And it's not really that I'm, and it, I'm not really taking a break from it because when I'm off the road and I'm home, and I, I play clubs all around here. Uh, and I do three sets. I'll do, I'll do covers, my songs, you know, play songs from all the bands I played with, you know, and, you know, it's pretty cool, you know, cause I'm yeah. still getting paid to play. And keep it busy, and I get to sleep in my own bed, you know. <laughs> right. So why, but, you know. <laughs> why did you stay in Oklahoma? I mean, maybe you like it, but like, why not move to, you know, L.A. or New York or whatever? Well, one, because of the economy here. I mean, I you know, I live in a four-bedroom house. It's like 2,000 square feet that, you know, anywhere else in the United States would be, way up in the 
hundreds, right. and hundreds and hundreds of thousands, and you know it's about 160 here. You know, right. And it's in a super awesome neighborhood with its own private lake. That's I, part of the reason, you know. I mean, it's kind of like Toby Keith. You know, he lives like a mile from me, and you know, he of course he the house he lives in is much smaller than mine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably like you know, fifteen thousand square feet. Uh, but he, uh, same deal with him, you know, it's just the cost of living, you know, the way everything's set up, everything. And I mean, I used to have these people talk about going to LA, you know, but you gotta be there for the business. And I, and I would tell them that what they were paying in rent, they could fly first class back and forth every day in Oklahoma and it's, and it still make, you know, more money. It's true. I mean, I used to, I was in a band. Uh, in the early, early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s, while I was playing in Michael Shanker group called Black Symphony, and uh, we're based out of L.A. kind of, I guess. Uh, The guitar player lived like Lancaster, Palmdale area, and, you know, a couple of guys lived in L.A., a couple of guys, you know, lived a, a little bit farther, but nobody lived as far as me, and, you know, so I'd come out there, you know, spend a month at a time, whatever. And the least amount of stuff that I got happening for me was when I was hanging out there, mm-hmm. you know, cause it's, you know, I mean, it's, I guess there's more, there's more opportunities in a sense, but only if you're out there, you know, like, you know, one of those, you know, sunset strip type people, you know, right. You're out there every day playing everywhere on the, you know, talking to everybody, meeting everybody. I can't, I don't want to do that. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's hard enough putting this solo album out and going out and doing shows to, to kind of have to somewhat start over and say, okay, I got to book shows and I got to find people to play with me and they got to learn these songs. And, you know, uh, now I got to figure out how to promote it. And, you know, it's, it's hard enough starting over like that, especially in a right. this day and age where, where somebody flipped a switch from everything was cool to everything's weird you know, in the music <laughs> yeah. business to where, oh, now you don't have to promote. You have to figure out how to get on playlist, you know, and it's like a completely different world. So, uh, you know, I, that's probably uh, probably why I stayed here, you know, just because, uh-huh. I mean, I don't think I would have. Everybody I knew that moved to L.A. to be big stars all came back here, and none of them became stars. <laughs> all the ones that everybody I knew <laughs> All the guys I grew up with that uh, playing from here that uh-huh. are actually still doing stuff like John Humphrey from Seether and Greg Upchurch from Three Doors Down, uh, you know, Jerry Cantrell. I mean, all the people that live here, they all still live here. Right. And, uh, yeah. That's know, interesting. Yeah. You know, I mean, hell, even the, like the Flame and Lips, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but mm-hmm. uh, I th- Wayne Coyne still lives in the same house in the weird neighborhood that he lived in when he didn't have no money he just bought the houses next to him and kind of made a little bit of a compound but you know it's like there's something you know i mean in every city the same you know right once you get to the you can say oh there's so much more to do here and so much more to do there you're still going to go to the same two bars the same three restaurants you know (laughs) it it doesn't matter if there's 80 places you know it's like even when i go to la I was just there the other day. I'm going to go to Roscoe's, you know, right off. So what's the difference? You know, I'm going to go to Pink's, you know, I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to eat at the same places. I'm going to go to the Rainbow to drink, you know, so it's, it's like, uh, it's better to go there on vacation and do the stuff than every, if you did it every week that way, God, you'd really be broke, you know. Right, right. Trying, trying to come up with the $6,000 to pay for your apartment. Right. You know, with no job. <laughs> but. So how yeah, did I mean, you, I, how did you go from just playing the bass to all these uh, styles that you're known for? Like I, I read that you're a two-handed tapper mm-hmm. and all this stuff. How did you do that? Well, I, I pretty much... I can tell you right now, I pretty much started when I started playing bass and I started getting, you know, pretty good, like within, you know, like a year or whatever. From that point, I pretty much 
was playing like I play now, more or less, I just, you know, hadn't perfected it. You know, I was using, tapping with both hands because I was into uh, Tony Levin and King Crimson, you know. So, uh, I mean, if you go and listen to Elephant Talk, you'll hear everything that ever happened in a a Primus song all right then in one song, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, because he played a Chapman stick, so he played with both hands. So I had, I had that influence, and then, you know, I had the influence of seeing, you know, like I seen Talis with Billy Sheehan and Mitch Perry, and uh, both of them, you know, they were playing. Especially Mitch Perry was playing over the neck, you know, on top, hand over, you know, running scales, and I was like, man, that's cool, you know. So I started, you know, doing it, mm-hmm. and you know, it's it, at a certain point you realize, you know, you get it gets becomes second nature. It's exactly the same. It's just, you know, it's not really upside down and backwards. It's still the, that note's still there and there. It's just a different finger starting, you know? Right. And so it's, you know, and I was always crazy on stage. So that literally that, I don't know at what point that I rolled over into, uh, where I didn't think about it no more, you know, where mm-hmm. I went from, having to try to play to just playing, you know, uh, but I also, you know, everybody else was playing bass. They were just driving one note, you know, and I, I listened to everything. So I was, you know, I was trying to be Jack Bruce and guys like that, you know, Paul McCartney, I was trying to play bass lines like that, but I was playing in metal, you know, so right. I added it. I also, I also played country. I played the jazz band. I was lucky enough to, in Oklahoma play country because it kept me from being one of those guys that stuck in a, uh, in, in a metal attitude of saying, you know, I'm not going to play covers. I'm going to do this. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sell out, you know, doing this. And I don't care if you're getting paid playing music, it's like getting paid <laughs> playing baseball or, right. you know, or playing a video game. You had to have at least liked it enough to get good so mm-hmm. you have to still like it i mean it's funny because I, I play these gigs with uh a band around here and it's a disco band you know it's wigs and everything playing the casinos and I, I fill in all the time with them and you know play bass and sing and you know those guys make minimum 500 a night a piece you know mm-hmm. and you go home and sleep in your own bed and now all these guys that are in that band make you know like couple hundred thousand a year in their regular jobs so all they do is complain that they have to wear a wig and get paid that much to play disco songs and i'm just like well just give me half and shut up and i'll go play it you know (laughs) i mean because i look at it like it's you know like it's final tap you know like you're putting on it i put on the wig i you know i don't i'm not me anymore i'm you know if i'm doing disco i'm juan revolto you know Right. If I'm playing, if I'm playing in the '80s band, I'm Maxi Pad. You know, it's like a, I put the wig on and I become that. You know, and it makes it even more fun. But these, some of these people, they get this. You know, I don't want to sell out. I don't play covers. I just play originals, and I do this, and I wear all black. And you know, that's that's like that's like working somewhere, and them saying, "Hey, if you put on a tie, I'll, give, I'll make you manager, and you'll make three times as much." Okay, and you're right. going, no, I'm not putting on a tie. You know, I'm going to stay down here in the mailroom. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, it's what it is. And I know people that are still like that, you know, mm-hmm. and they just won't go play, you know, and I'll tell you right now, if, if I had a choice between playing one of my songs that nobody knew and they might not like, or playing a Guns N' Roses song that they all want to hear and dance to, I'd probably play Guns N' Roses. And I don't like Guns N' Roses. <laughs> but I guarantee I'll play because I'd rather be entertaining people and, you know, making them enjoy it than, you know, running them out to those five people that I know that come see me every time I play in that coffee shop. Right. Can hear can hear the songs that are, you know, meaningful to them. You know, and I mean, it's, it's I might sound like a, a kind of a, uh, uh, an ass for saying that, but, you know, I mean, it's, it's true. I mean, it's like, you have to, you know, there's a, there's a, a line between uh, entertaining people and 
just writing a song that you hope is going to move somebody. Because if, if that's your whole point, then why do you play live? You know? Yeah. It, you know, it's the whole point of live is so you can entertain them. If, if you're not going to move any more than the, the album cover, then they should just sit at home, put the album on and look at the cover. Because <laughs> you know? then they can skip the songs they don't want to hear. They put it on pause. They can, you, they can make you exit the stage, you know. It's like there's a, a bunch of weird stuff that happened in music that just I, I've just never understood. And when, like anything, once something changes, it doesn't take very long before it's gone, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, no yeah. different than people, you know, driving. I get The thing I hate more than anything is when I'm driving down the road, everybody's on their phone. They're all going too slow. Nobody's paying attention, you know. And I, I'm just cussing them the whole time, you know. And all I could think is when it first started with the phones, I kept thinking, man, I hope it doesn't get bad, you know. And it just got so bad that they'll never be able to, you know. Everybody's so addicted to their phones, they'll never be able to make people not use them, you know. Right, right. There's so many, you know, Oklahoma is the, the capital of all casinos. We have the biggest casino in the world here, Windstar. We have... You know, because the whole state is Indian land, so the whole state is a casino, basically. Mm-hmm. So all the bars suffer. You know, all the bars hardly have, you know, half the business they used to because people go to the casinos so they can, you know, they think they're winning money, but not really. <laughs> right. They, I mean, even when they do win, they, they put part of it back, you know, and... I mean, I got a friend that, you know, he'll win, you know, ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 all the time. And I'll say, well, how much did you leave with? Oh, I left it with seven. I'm like, so you lost $7,000? No, man, oh, I only took a, a hundred in there. I'm like, yeah, but at one point you had $15,000. So that means you lost $7,000. <laughs> right. You're an idiot. And you got 1099, <laughs> you know, so you're paying taxes on it. You know, it's right. like people don't, they don't think about it. You know, it's just like concerts, you know, are, you know, still in people's, music you know when it first started doing that sharing you know and you know you don't think of, you don't think about what it's going to cause you know oh you know I'll, I'll, I'll just steal this record nobody will care you know but right then you're like why does that band ever tour <laughs> nobody bought the record right. <laughs> and it, i mean and it's not you know it's not that everything that's stolen stops that because you know britney spears fans and you know over the years and you know uh, you two, you know, Madonna, you know, Beyonce, all of them, their fans got computers, you know, mm-hmm. they still sell lots of records, you know, cause they, but that's the thing is they didn't, you know, they were lucky enough to have that backing that it didn't matter, you know, right. you get some rock, you get a rock band that, you know, you don't have that choice, you know, it's like, oh, okay, you know, it's a, it, it's, a, you know, it's a terrible thing. I mean, hell, and it's not really changed, even though people think it has. Because when I was a kid, it was, you know, you know, devil music. Right. You know? So nothing, nothing's really changed, you know, except for if they tried to say it was devil music. Now I just laugh at them because I don't know what music is anymore, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So what but, made you decide to do your own album? Uh, well, I, I've been talking about it for for years you know I'd, and i some of these songs that are on there i've literally had for uh, a couple of them i wrote like in 94 i was putting a band oh. together and uh that fell apart so i never recorded them you know and they were and then they never really fit in with anything i did after and uh so i'd, I'd actually because when i was home from tours i would uh, i would do my rev jones band i'd have get a couple of guys around here and we would do, you know, MSG songs, a mountain fuel, you know, all the bands I'd played in. And so I actually was recording them so I could have those, the new guys learn them because I wanted to start doing them. And I was just going to give it away free. So I contacted uh, Jim Dawkins who played guitar on it. You know, and I, I just wanted him to play some solos on it, you know, so it, you know, so it sounded killer. And, uh, I sent them to him and he recorded them and then he called me and uh, cause he really dug it. And he was hearing something that I wasn't really noticing, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I was, I was, 
you know, not really thinking about them as songs, you know, are like, as, wow, this, people might really dig this, you know, because, uh, you know, it was just not really on my mind. And, uh, you know, he taught, he convinced me to, you know, go ahead and do a full album and put it out, you know. So, you know, I did, and, you know, it didn't cost me anything. You know, we just, we all did it at our home studios. And Jim mixed it. He took his time, you know, just mixed it in his spare time. So it was actually done for like two years uh, before it came out. And and, and were you then, going crazy during those two years? Like, I've got something no, to show you. Well, no, because I'd, uh, you know, I was on tour playing all the time, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. cause I, you know, I was still, plus I was still going out and playing with Michael Shanker because, you know, after, after I'd left in 06, you know, I did uh, every other year I did a tour with him when he'd be in America, you know. So, okay. Uh, so I still was constantly on tour. So I, I was busy that it didn't bother me, you know, and, uh, but then, you know, it, but it gave me a lot of time to listen to it. And, you know, from an outsider, you know, like not critique myself, like, uh, you know, cause this is the first time that I was the lead singer, you know? And mm-hmm. uh, so, I mean, you know, and I, I knew I could sing and, you know, whatever, but it's, you always think of your, you know, whatever your weakness is you know my strength is obviously bass so my right. weakness is going to be the singing so you automatically are going to critique it and think oh is it you know is it good is it what are people going to think you know and then the first you know couple of awesome singers I knew that talked to me about it that all loved my voice that kind of just made me go okay cool you know it took all that uh not really fear, but just that thought away, you know, to where now mm-hmm. I don't even think about it. You know, I knew I could sing if I was, you know, and I'd sing. It wasn't that I hadn't sang lead on songs that I had, but it was the first time I had to be the singer, you know, it was right. just me. And, and I had to play bass. And because I play all of the songs on the record uh, when I play live, anything I played and sang, I had to be able to play and sing, you know, uh, I I could just go in the studio and do it, and then not be able to do it live, you know. So did you did you write all the music, or did you write the bass yeah. line? No, I wrote, wrote I wrote everything. everything. Uh, yeah, there was uh, uh, like a, a couple a couple of songs that uh, were written with some another guy, but uh, one other guy had wrote some lyrics and some of the melodies, uh, and we never put the song out on one of them. Uh, and then uh, there was another song that uh, the drummer from my old band Forte, he had wrote the lyrics and, you know, but all the music, uh, it was all me. Mm-hmm. And it, it's awesome. funny because none of the songs, you know, they don't really sound uh, like each other. I mean, it's, if you listen to them, they're all kind of completely different type songs, mm-hmm. and, but it all sounds like me, you know. And, uh, it, you know, it, it just sounds, you know, it's like a band like Queen. You know, right. What's cool about Queen is that they don't they don't have one style. It's not just, you know, you know, it's not the show right. tunes. It's not the, the heavy stuff, you know. It's everything. And that's, to me, that's cool. You know, the Beatles, same deal, you know. Mm-hmm. So that, and that's how I've always kind of, uh, I always kind of just wrote that way, you know. And, you know, that's how it is. Some of these songs sound like, you know, got that kind of Van Halen-y kind of groove. And then, you know, next thing you know, there's some weird, you know, prog thing. And then there's a almost like a punk rock ska, you know. And I, I kind of sing a little different on each one, you know, in a different style somewhat. But when you listen to it all together, it sounds like me, you know. And that's, that's what most of the uh, uh, good comments about it. That's what uh, that's what they're all saying, you know, that that it doesn't sound like I went in and tried to write an album, you know. Right. It sounds right. like you know, like most people, it's like, oh, I want to sound like Nickelback, so I'm gonna write an album that sounds like Nickelback, you know, and they make it that way, and you know, I mean, it's, that's just stupid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got an I I I got another song for another album right now, and I've got two or three that I'm working on 
you know, then I'll record, you know, sometime maybe at the end of the year, you know, do another one, get it out, you know, just to share more or less. And, you know, cause I, uh, to me, the writing part isn't as fun as the, uh, uh, the playing part, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's not, as, it's not as satisfying. I don't think, I mean, writing a song by the time it's recorded and everything, you know, it's it's been forever since you wrote it, and then by the time you make any money off of it, if anything, it's really been forever. You know, mm-hmm. so the enjoyment of writing a song—I don't really see how it's there. The enjoyment of playing a song, <laughs> you know, that's to me that's much better. You know, uh, that's right. why I've never, I've never, I've never understood these people that hate playing their hit song. You know, oh, I played it so many times, I don't want to. You know. I just, I mean, I don't get, I mean, I don't think any song, could, I mean, unless it was that, uh, that's, uh, that one song of, I would walk 500 miles. <laughs> now, if you had to do that one every day, I'd probably, I mean, I'd see that being a, you know, an awful thing, but, you know, to me, it's like, you know, I, I was never even, I was never really a big Steelheart fan, but I mm-hmm. love playing those songs, you know, I, I love playing all those songs, you know. Uh, I love playing all, you know, I I don't really like the Fuel songs, but I I thought they were all cool when we were playing them, you know. <laughs> so. So where will people find your album? Uh, anywhere that you can buy, do digital downloads. You can go to my website, repjones.com. There's a link on there. Uh, you know, typical I, iTunes, which is, I guess no more. Uh, Amazon, mm-hmm. Google, you know, all the, all the big, all the big sources of it. And uh, then you can, you know, then all the, all the streaming outlets as well, you know. So everybody and can get out. And are you performing anywhere soon? Or? Yeah. yeah uh, well, I can go back out with, uh, with Thoroughgood coming up in uh, about three weeks. So I got a couple of shows just around here in Oklahoma and, I got some stuff in the works for uh, later in the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, some some support stuff that I'm still trying to get worked out. I got some Leslie West shows coming up uh, in September. We're doing uh, Leslie West, Robbie Krieger, and uh, I think I think Edgar Winters on the shows too. We're doing uh, Jersey, New York, and Connecticut, nice. and uh, and uh, you know. Just playing where I can play. And I see that you have bass lessons on your mm-hmm. website. Yeah, yeah. I try to. You know, I, 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 always, I used to have it. We used to teach at these schools around here. We had like kind of like what a rock, uh, uh-huh. you know, school or school of rock would be kind of like we had a rock academy here. And uh, mm-hmm. so I still, I still do lessons with. Uh, I guess some some kids that take from me and a couple of adults. And then I do some Skype stuff, you know, try to, I try to, you know, do it like, uh, I don't, I don't try to overpower, uh, you know, like myself, like having 50 students. Right. Because, because then it's, you know, it's not as cool, you know, having, yeah, like four or five, it's cool because then, you know, because I actually care if they, you know, get better. I don't want to teach somebody and them just be terrible. You know, right. That would right. kill me. I'd have to, I'd have to sneak into their house every night and sit there and go, no, it's like this. It's like this. It's like this. <laughs> you know, just to, yeah. just to regain my, uh, you know, my pride. But, uh, so yeah, I do that. And, uh, I have, you know, I still have an instructional DVD that's for sale as well. So, <clears throat> I try to put myself everywhere possible. Mm-hmm. That's, that's it's, got, it's got to do with music, you know. So, so people can find you at www.revjones.com. Yep. Right? Um, and you've uh-huh. got a whole, you've got merchandise, you've got gear, you've got, it, I mean, this is a great website. So that's really cool. You also do private lessons. Mm-hmm. Is that through Skype? Yeah, I do. Uh, I either do a Skype or... For some people, if they want to learn a certain uh, a certain thing, then I'll do a I'll just do a video lesson where I actually 
video myself, you know, giving them the lesson, basically, you know, teaching them and then just send them the video. That way there's no, uh, there's no air between us, you know, there's no, right. Right. Did he understand that part? Did he understand this part? You know, sometimes that's better. And, you know, so I, it it just kind of depends on the person. Uh, But, you know, Skype is usually, usually how it's going to be. And, uh, and then I, also, I, I do some private lay whenever I'm on the road with Thoroughgood. If we have a day off and somebody's close and they want a lesson, then I'll give them a you know an in-person private lesson. You know, right? That's awesome. Well, thank yeah, you very so. much for coming on the Metal Belly today. I'm very excited to well, talk to you. You're legendary, so that's, yeah. that's huge. So you didn't even you. mention you, did, you didn't mention my video for my first single, Backwash. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. Let's talk about it. Tell me about your video. Oh, no, I just I just released it. We uh, we actually shot it while I was on tour with Thoroughgood, uh, the Munner guy. He's like the digital master, you know. And okay. He, he does all their all their stuff and a bunch of other bands. So we decided to do a video for me, and we had a month to do it. And somehow we got down to the last two days of the tour and realized we hadn't started. <laughs> so. <laughs> We had two days to knock out all that we could. So, you know, 30 minutes here, 20 minutes there, you know. And it was all shot on an iPhone. And really? We, yeah, we were in Montana. And so, thank God they had buildings and not farm, you know, barns <laughs> and stuff. But, uh, and it, you know, it's pretty cool. We, I did a little, a, a little twist with a championship wrestling mask and, you know, uh, I got my little two-year-old in there playing bass, and you know, it's, uh-huh. there's a lot of there's a lot of cool little things. It's it's full of humor, just like my songs are, you know. So yeah, but I just I got it. You can go see it's on YouTube, it's on my Facebook page, my website, all of them. But uh, if everybody out there needs to go watch it and tell everybody else to watch it, that way I can make four or five cents off of. Uh, <laughs> off of the streaming of it. <laughs> about what it's about what YouTube pays these days. <laughs> right. Right. Awesome. Well, very good. I I think every and you also so wait, I did also see that you designed a, a base. Yeah, the the main base I use uh is is my model. I just I can't really say that I, I designed it. I just looked at another base and went, Wow, that'd be better if it was upside down. And you did this, you know, changed it a little bit. Uh, right. But, yeah, Dean, they started making that model a couple of years ago. And uh, it, once people play it, they're like, oh, my God, you know, it's it, it looks kind of looks kind of weird at first. But the way it, the comfort, comfortableness of it, once they try it, they're like, oh, this is great. You know, uh-huh. it's kind of a it's kind of a selling point. But, you know, I, I play eight different kinds of Dean bases that are all completely uh-huh. different from each other. And I'm staring okay. at all up right now. And uh, so I could pretty, you know, it's hard for me to decide if something's going to be comfortable to somebody because, you know, I could play them whatever the style, you know, whatever the body shape is, it doesn't matter to me. A lot of people have right. those other issues. So I guess that's a bad call on saying that, oh yeah, this, you'll like this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I mean, I think I think it's pretty cool though. But yeah, the Dean guitars. So if you uh, anybody looking for a good bass, call Dean guitars and say I want the Rev Jones Reverse Cadillac, and you'll get a fine bass. All right, well, very cool. Nice to talk to you. Yeah, and, thank you. And uh, hopefully we'll meet in the future. Sounds good. Take care. All yourself. right. Got it.